Well, Ellen, I have a bone to pick with you. <laughs> I think you have lost us our podcasting license. Why is that? Because on Swamp Talk, you gave out some misinformation. When there's misinformation, we need to correct it. It we is true. We need to give apologies where apologies are due. It's true. What is this, Fox News? No, we are accountable, and I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. You told our listeners on an episode of Swamp Talk that Ethan Slater and Ariana Grande broke up. I did. They have not broken up. I know. I didn't know that. That's right. My good friend Charlie, who we know from Kinky Boots is working on Spamalot on Broadway and he sat next to Ariana Grande because she was there to see Ethan Slater and I said, oh, are they still together? He goes, yeah, they're together. I'm like, Ellen lied. <laughs> Listen, I'm sorry when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. It's called accountability. I'm proud of you. How does that feel? <laughs> Honestly, I can't believe she's with that kid. He was SpongeBob on Broadway and he looks like SpongeBob in real life. Hey, SpongeBob needs love too. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, down bitches and new listeners alike. How are you? Welcome to I Think Not, the podcast where we dole out the apologies. I was wrong. I have no problem saying I was wrong. I thought they were broken up. I heard that she changed her number. Where'd you get this information from? I don't. I'm probably TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone. I am Ellen Marsh, and across from me is old blue eyes over there, Joey Taranto. It's me, Joey Taranto. Welcome to I Think Not, the podcast where we recap all of your favorite true crime TV shows, no matter how scary, freaky, and nightmare-inducing they might be. And speaking of nightmares, that is what we're doing here right now. We are covering the show called True Nightmares. Nightmare on I Think Not Street. Part three, Todd Robbins returns. Ellen, what makes you think that I wouldn't want to be part of your fun? Who's that? It's me, Todd Robbins. Christopher told me that you guys couldn't do a podcast by yourself, so I thought I'd throw you a bone and come and hang out with you. Well, thank you, Todd Robbins. Is it really you? Yes. I live in New York City, Manhattan, Hell's Kitchen to be specific. Oh, okay. So I guess we can't really make fun of you if you're going to be here, right? That's correct, Ellen. I'll be listening to every episode. Uh-oh. Be nice. Okay, that's ominous. <laughs> Listen, I caught on to frogging, okay? I still can't go up in my attic, but I loved it. Good for you. And I can't ever look at spaghetti ever the same. <laughs> But here we are. And if you would like to catch up with all of our nonsense, join us on the Patreon. We got shows like Pink Collar Crimes. I almost got away with it. You, that's always his go-to. Fear thy neighbor. Southern Fried Homicide. Remember Southern Fried Homicide? How is Shanna Banana? Hi, Shanna Banana. And of course, Disappeared. All of those shows are there ready for you. We've got three separate tiers. Lots of good stuff. We've got a watch party coming up. In fact, tonight, Wednesday, when you're listening to this, we're going to be doing a pre-Thanksgiving watch party for all of our Patreon members of Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. Fuck off, Toby! Why don't you tell them all to go and fuck themselves for making my high school years a living hell? <laughs> Come on, Janine. I love you. Yeah, we got a lot of good things. Also, there's Swamp Talk once a month. We do. We have a lot of fun bonus things on our Patreon. On the $5 level, you get four bonus episodes. This is a lot of episodes. It's a lot of us. We're just so happy that you're here. And should we get on with the show? Yeah, let's do it. True Nightmare Season 2, Episode 2, Larger Than Death. I'm Todd Robbins, and all my life I've been fascinated with stories so strange, so dark, so twisted. It couldn't possibly be true. I have three of them for you. A woman was still bleeding out when we arrived on the scene. A tale of TV journalism that redefines meeting a deadline. Get there as fast as you can. This is the most shocking thing we have ever captured. The story of a common medicine that turns out to be a dose of death. I didn't do it. Help! I need a doctor! The saga of a town haunted by fear. <laughs> I guess they're nightmares that have already come true. Our host Todd Robbins is here in a lovely suit while he walks around a dimly lit barn or maybe it's a shed. I don't know. Either way, my question is why? <laughs> why are we here? Well, he also 
also says, In all my life, I've been fascinated with stories. So strange, so dark, so twisted. Todd, I appreciate your obvious use of a thesaurus. You know I love alternative words. But these are not stories. This show is fucking insane. Todd, oh, I love that you're obsessed with true nightmares. You know what you need to get obsessed with? The Lord, because you're not right with them. <laughs> you need to call your priest. You need to get a Gideon Bible. You need to shake some holy water in your house. And maybe ask the Holy Ghost for forgiveness. Because you are not right with him, clearly. You are sitting in the darkness. And you need to find the light. You're not right. Right. If the apocalypse happens, if the rapture happens, you're not going up to meet Jesus. You're going down to meet Satan himself. And he's going to be like, <laughs> you hear that, Todd Robbins? Joey is pissed. But also burn some sage. Eat the sage at this point. Eat the whole thing of sage. Sage your insides. Plug the sage. <laughs> we have three more stories for you today. And by stories, we mean... Nightmares. Nightmares. So we begin with the story of Wallace Souza. The year is 2010, and we are in Manaus, Brazil. There's a saying in the news business, if it bleeds, it leads. The nightly news is filled with stories of crime, murder, and sorrow. Now, I want to say, I don't watch the news, especially cycled news. There's not enough news for a 24-hour cycle, so most of it's opinions, and people sometimes sadly don't know how to separate opinions from facts. Also, the news is basically where you go to find out where the best cupcakes in town are right after they've cut to a murder-death kill. It's a no for me. I do not like the news. Oh, you mean like the emotional whiplash that they put you through? Oh, Ellen has Ellen DeGeneres. Remember Ellen DeGeneres when she wasn't a monster? I know. Her stand-up where she talks about the news and she's like, coming up next, where you can find the cheesiest pizza. Also, there were no survivors. (laughs) I'm like, that is the news. Reporting tonight on a horrible tragedy uptown, but first, a squirrel riding a bicycle. (laughs) It's too much. Also, I I mean, I would imagine that those poor reporters need a Xanax after that. It's just up, down, up, down. (laughs) Now remember, this entire show, though a nightmare, is also done almost entirely in reenactments. It's honestly a gift from the baby Jesus, but we're backstage at a news station and there's a fake news report about a murder that happened in Manaus. Tonight on Crime Scene Live, we take you behind the scene. Are you ready on camera one? Wally, as you can see here, there's another crime scene live happening right behind me. The police tell me that they don't yet have a suspect in this shooting, but one source believes that this murder is part of an ongoing drug war between two rival factions. Coming to you live from downtown, I'm Bianca Castro for Crime Scene Live. Back to you in the studio, Wally. Thank you, Bianca, for that live report. Well, tonight, another young man dead in the streets. That's Wally Souza, anchorman, prophet, ratings giant. Every evening, he reports on the battle between criminals and the police. He calls it as he sees it, and that's why people love him and why his audience is so big. First of all, I am not kidding. I thought the reenactment Wally was John Quinones from What Would You Do? Oh my God, yes, absolutely. I I Googled it. I was like, first of all, there was a time when that was Lola's favorite show. Do you know why it was her favorite show? Why? It's because it made me cry. And she (laughs) loved watching me cry. I'm not kidding. Hold on one second. Hi, Hi, honey. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Good. What was the reason that you liked watching What Would You Do? Uh, wait, who are you with, Joey? Yeah, I'm just with Joey. Um, it's make you cry to see you cry. I love watching you cry. <laughs> That's it. Love you. This child loves to watch me cry. You know who else loves to watch you cry? Who? You. When I was little. <laughs> it is becoming a scene we are too familiar with. The violence, the killings, and yet may I ask, where is the outrage? Keep those tips coming to Crime Scene Live. That's a wrap. Great show, everyone. Great show. Good job. Wally Souza has just finished what is a brilliant broadcast, and he celebrates by, did you see what he did? No. Smoking a cigar. Ugh. Gross. I mean, obviously, that reminds me of my dad, and that's disgusting, because my house used to smell like cigars, but honestly, grow up and smoke a joint. Like, <laughs> Listen, if you like a cigar, that's fine. Good on you. I don't understand the appeal. I've, I worked at Dickie Brennan Steakhouse in the French Quarter when you could still smoke inside, and people would smoke cigars that Cigar. they sold in the bar area, and it's dung. It stunk. All my clothes stunk. I hated it. So make sure you get the line cut to the editor. Then. That's Art Ruby, Crime Scene Live's news director, anonymous tip collector, and ratings cheerleader. Once he gets settled, Wally, let's talk ratings. we got to get our numbers up. Numbers? We're number one. Today we're number one. Tomorrow we're in the crapper if we don't deliver. And then we meet a 
journalist by the name of Anna Maria Bahana, and she's telling us how popular Wally's true crime TV show was. The Wally Sosa show was the show that everybody had to see. It covered police activity, gang warfare, with every single gruesome detail. And the more gruesome it was, the higher the ratings were. Wally's show was something of a two-way street. All right, Wally gave his audience the shocking crime stories they craved, and they gave him anonymous tips and leads he needed to cover those stories. What you got? Shooting in Barrio Nuevo. We got there like 10 seconds after the cops. Did not like it. Art Ruby vetted the tips and sent the crew where the action was with clear instruction. Get there before the police to remind the audience who was really on their side. And that's how it went. Night after night, Wally and his crew would get a hot tip, they'd follow up on it, and they'd get the story. Crime Scene Live was always first on the scene, but they always wanted more. So they're in the news studio, and guess who else is in the news studio? Who? Todd Robbins. Uh-huh. He's in the news studio, and basically they're at another crime. We're here live on Rio Avenue on 700 block where another young man is dead, an apparent gunshot victim. We arrived first on the scene. Conspicuously absent are the police. Reporting live from Rio Avenue, I'm Bianca Castro for Crime Scene Live. Back to you, Wally. That is incredible footage, Bianca. But it is as yet another sad reminder of the danger we all live in. The police, they're not looking after you, but I am. And I hope you will look after me. Keep those tips coming. First on scene, first in ratings, Georgie. Another lurid crime scene, another ratings grabber. Audiences loved it and couldn't get enough of it. But you know who did have enough of it and wanted this all stopped? The police. They're making the cops look like assholes. And the cops are like, we can do that all on our own, Wally. Like, we're good. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Reenactment police pull up and the cop is like, Bianca, you know the drill. Come on, move back. Come on, ever heard of Freedom of the Press, detective? This is a crime scene. They have better sources than we do? Come on, I don't believe it. It doesn't make any sense the way they do this. It was the anonymous tips that put crime scene live ahead of the police. These tips were so good that Art Ruby had his crew staked out in the field so they could respond as soon as the call came in. It's like Gail Weathers in Scream. So one evening a tip comes in and director Art calls his team who are already out in a high crime area, gives them an address, and immediately they're on their way. There's nothing going on here. No cops, that's for sure. Just a bunch of kids. It's the address he gave me. They arrive, no police. They don't really see anything happening, but they pull out their camera anyway and they're just rolling. Bianca was like, listen, we got a directive. Keep that camera rolling. Roll tape, something's going on here. Here, over there. And then they see a man pull up in a truck, get out, and open fire on a group of people. Carmen, we're on the corner of 10th and Octavio, right outside the shopping arcade, where we have just witnessed the most brazen, the most despicable execution-style murder, right on the street and right in the front of witnesses. They got to the crime scene before the crime even happened. What the fuck is happening? Yeah, and everyone is shaken. Bianca is flipping out, but she's like, keep rolling. They have the whole murder on video. Bianca and the camera guy are the eyewitnesses. And they're like, oh my God. And Art is like, this is ratings gold. We're first on scene, first in the ratings. I'm like, that was a televised murder. Like, you can't put that on the air. Surely Uh you can't put that on the air. Oh, but they did. Oh, but they did. They aired it on TV. And what's even more disturbing is the fact that the audience loved it. But you know who else was watching? The police. So the police kind of are waiting outside for Wally. And they basically were like, Wally, we would hate to have to charge you with interfering with the investigation. Or worse. Well, hang on. You guys know about, uh, Freedom on the press, right? It's freedom of the press, Eddie. And the police are angry that this new show is getting tips before them and their sources are better. So the police start asking members of the news crew about these sources. So he goes to the camera guy and they're like, We just want to ask you about some of your sources. There's no need to sweat over it. Look, I don't have any sources. And from what I can tell, neither does Bianca. We're just pebbles to them. We know when we're kicked. So, who's kicking? Art Ruby. He 
runs this place. He's got us all on a tight leash, even Wally. He gets all the tips from the tip line, you know? Police turn their attention to Art Ruby. And we see reenactment police questioning Art. And my God, this guy who plays the cop, one of them, is so bad. It's like <laughs> it's like he read how to act on camera for dummies, just indicating left and right. It's like as the world meets true nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, did you ever watch the soap opera Passions in the no, 90s? I don't think I was allowed to. Haley Mills' sister, Juliette Mills, was on it. And she played Tabitha, who was a witch. And she made a doll that she brought to life. And the actor who played the doll had a little lisp. And it was like this. He was like, yes, Tabitha, we're going to get them. And I watched that show for like two years. Wait, so you know this firsthand? You didn't Google this? No, I watched it with my own two eyes. Do you think it was a nod to Bewitched with the little girl being named Tabitha? I think it was a nod to buffoonery is what I think it was. (laughs) So the police tell Director Art. Everything you guys do is based on anonymous tips as recorded by your public tip line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Well, we're going to need to get a copy of the tip line recordings. All of them. I have to protect my sources, detectives. You understand. Ruby had the police cornered. He didn't have to give them access to his precious tip line, the lifeblood of his hit show. And the police knew they were cornered. And the police don't like to be cornered. So the police were like, well, if you can't beat them, follow that fucking news van. So basically the police stalked after the news van and they would just follow them to a crime scene. They're like, if they're finding out before us, let's just follow them. So they do. So one night a tip comes in and the news team leaves. They arrive at the address given to them and the police are not far off watching. What the hell is that? Active shooter. Active shooter. Then the police see a man in a black mask stalking another person with a gun. And they drive in front of him, cut him off, and arrest him at gunpoint. Hands behind your head. Meanwhile, the news team is filming this. And so they grab him, and he's wearing like a ski mask, and it's super Scooby-Doo. And it's a man named Eddie Suarez, who the show calls Wally's right-hand man, but Joey and I both (laughs) found out he was his bodyguard. bodyguard. Yeah. And then Eddie sang like a canary, and he's like, you all have been talking to the wrong person. Art is not the puppet master. It's Wally. Oh, honey, he sang like Julie Andrews in the mountains of Austria. He was just like, it ain't me. It ain't. (laughs) me. So they end up arresting Wallace, right, at the TV station. And Eddie Suarez told police how it all went down. First, Wally would call Eddie and tell him who he wanted dead and when. Eddie, I need you to listen very carefully. It's time. Eddie had the dual task of carrying out the assassinations and calling the tip line to report a murder he witnessed. I'm calling to report a murder. Yeah. Art Ruby, blinded by an obsession with TV ratings, couldn't see the obvious. These tips were phony. He played the unwitting fool to the most unethical news-gathering scheme ever created. What the fuck? Yeah, and so it turned out that Art Ruby, all he is is an asshole boss. He's not actually doing anything illegal. All he cared about was the story. He had no idea that Eddie Suarez was behind all the tips. Like, he really was just in it for the ratings. He had no idea all this backhanded stuff was going on. He never even stopped to think that these tips were bogus or orchestrated. All he knew was the show was a hit. Yep. And so why was Wallace Souza doing this, right? Hold on to your butts. (laughs) So this show was Wallace's part-time job. Do you want to know what his full-time job was? Tell them, Ellen. He worked at Express for Men. Try again. He worked at Zara? No, one more time. Oh, he was a drug trafficker. It's not just that this guy is a criminal and a drug lord. He is on television. And he is basically broadcasting his crimes and presenting them as excellent, perfect The dude reporting on the bad guys was the bad guy. He was the bad guy slash murderer slash drug guy. He was calling all the shots everywhere. So in 2009, Wallace was charged with murder as well as a myriad of other crimes. And the show was canceled in 2010 when Wallace actually died from chronic liver disease. But you said he had a heart attack. He had a liver disease and he actually died from a heart attack. Wait, did you look that up or was that on the episode? No, I looked it up. Look at you. What do you think you are? 
investigative journalist. I'm also a lawyer now. Oh, where I, did you go to school? The law school of law, law, and gay law. Oh, I've, where is that located? It is in Orlando. <laughs> where all the best law schools are. Yeah. Also not in the episode, Wally was a former police officer. Yes, he was. He knew the inner workings real, real well. Also, Wally was in politics. Yep. He was elected to the Legislative Assembly of Amazonas in 2000. He was re-elected in 2002. And he was made parliamentary in 2003. So all in all, Wally and the former bodyguard were charged with nine murders. Nine murders! Nine murders. And he admitted at least one of them had been broadcast live on the show. So when the police raided Sousa's house, they found assault rifles, they found money, they found drugs, they found all kinds of stuff. Actually, there is a documentary on this on Netflix called Killer Ratings. This story is absolutely in. Same. It's huge. It was massive conspiracy news at the time. I mean, I can understand being like, you know what? I love cupcakes. So we are going to report on cupcakes every single night. And I should be the one doing the field work. <laughs> but murdering people so you can report on crime, that is the definition of insanity to me. Well, he's dead. He can choke in hell. So now we move on to our next story, the story of Kathy Daniker, Stan McWorther, and Jennifer Melling. So Todd Robbins, the first line of this second story is just marriage. Jesus, listen, I'm not going to sit here and bag on marriage because it works for some people. But did he say it like this? Marriage. <laughs> he did. Marriage. He did. They just, they cut it and they they had, they were like, do it again, Todd. We'll keep it that way, but just do it one more time. Well, this- the good news is Tom Robbins is no longer in the outhouse. Now he's at a wedding. His name is Todd. Tom Todd. Whatever. I think I called him Tony Robbins last episode. <laughs> no, listen, I get that some people love marriage and there are things about marriage that are funny. It's like when you're dating, you're like, no, I don't want to tonight. I don't feel well. And then when you're married, you're like, I'm pissing out of my ass, so I don't want to do sex tonight. It's just like a it's like a new level of closeness, you know? Wow. You know, <laughs> whoever marries you next is a lucky guy. I'm peeing out my butt. <laughs> nope. I'm peeing out my butt. Is that hot? Did they turn you on? I don't know if it's my period or the Mexican, but all I know is I'm peeing out of my butt. It's probably both. I think I'm having my period, so it'll be probably be like seven days till I'm going to touch that thing again. Jesus Christ. I don't want to touch it. You need to get right with the Lord. Do you know what my ex-husband told me that English people say, like, call being on your period? What? You got the decorators in. Nah, I can't. She's got, my missus has got the decorators in. I've never hated this job more. <laughs> I just know way too much. Well, the year is 1991, the year that gave us one of my favorite 90s bops. I love that song. You love Amy Grant. I don't care that I did see her in concert this summer and she's now a baritone. I will always enjoy her and that song. I was like, what are you doing tonight? He's like, going to see Amy Grant in concert. I was like, did we just go back in time 30 years? Well, we did. And I was stoned out of my mind. And then she sang, you know, she has a very very famous Christian song that goes. people started raising their hands like it was in praise and worship. Now, listen, if you're a Christian out there and you believe that, that's great. I just have a lot of religious trauma. And really, I was like, I'm too stoned for this right now. I felt like I was back in church in the 90s. It was like, I have not been in that environment in a very long time. And I was like, this is a city winery and they serve alcohol. Half of you are drunk. I am stoned. Can we put our hands down? (laughs) Everyone put their hands down. And they're like, sir, would you like more blood of Christ? What did you say? (laughs) Do you want more wine? Oh, I thought you said something else. Those familiar wedding vows are a contract. They bind a couple together. But what if those binds become too tight? What, What do you do then? Well, there is one way of loosening them. And it's found right there in those wedding vows. Till death do us part. So we see a husband and wife coming in from their wedding. They're walking into their hotel room. She's in a beautiful dress. And it looks hotel like... Hotel room? Yeah. It looks like... It, this is no honeymoon suite. It looked like the days in, in Sheboygan. It, I always say Sheboygan. What? 
I literally said it looks like a Holiday Inn Express in Sheboygan. <laughs> I think it's because I've said Sheboygan. I didn't write that down. I feel like it's just because I've said that a couple of times lately. Well, nothing. Piedmont, North Dakota. Fine. That's fine. Because nothing says I love you like a stained bathtub and a toilet that won't flush. Did we say that this is in Washington State? Yeah, you did. I don't think I did. I think you did. I did it. Okay, we're in Washington State. Thank you. I feel better. <laughs> well, now that we lied about Ethan Slater and. Uh... You just really feel like we have to be absolutely on our game. Here's the thing. We know this is fiction because they're in their wedding dress and tuxedo and it looks like they're going to get it on. And everybody knows nobody has sex on their wedding night. Is that true? No, I Nobody has sex on their wedding night. You know that I told my ex who I was engaged to, I said, I'm telling you right now, we have to pay for this wedding. So if we're paying for the wedding, I am getting blackout drunk at our wedding. Do not expect sex from me. Nobody has sex. If you had sex on your wedding night, please send us a message on Facebook. We got home at like six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, from our no, wedding. the most you're going to get is one episode of Golden Girls and me barfing into a pail next to the bed. Welcome to married yeah, life. It took me 20 minutes to get my hair extensions out and then I ended up leaving them at the hotel and they were really expensive. I'll be right back. Just don't you fall asleep now. Sleep is the last thing I'm gonna do. How was she going to get out of that dress? I know. It's a lot of lace. I do love wedding dresses, but I especially love the ones from the 80s. They're just, yeah. everyone wanted to be Princess Di, and yeah. it did not age well for it anyone. It didn't. Those pictures are up. Remember that show we covered, Love, Honor, and Betray? Yes. And we like didn't like it, and we only had three episodes? Every one of those had epic wedding dresses. Waterfall flowers. Waterfall flowers. It was wonderful. Listen, I don't care what you have at the wedding. I want waterfall flowers. Yeah, a white, a white stretch limo. With yeah. a red leather interior. Well you, th- well, you think I'm going to have flowers and not have waterfall flowers? Of yes. course I'm going to have waterfall flowers. Yeah, and I'm going to get a French tip manicure. Yeah. It uh, complements the waterfall flowers. <laughs> so sweet Kathy goes into the bathroom and, and husband Michael is just getting excited. It's it's that moment. The moment has arrived. And then he hears like a thud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honey? You okay? Kathy? Here, come in. You Okay. Kathy? And he finally gets in, and Kathy is on the ground, frothing at the mouth. Like, what in the deadly women is happening? Help! Somebody! Help! What was supposed to be the happiest day of Mrs. Daniker's life was her last. She died. Y'all, when they said that, I was like, that cannot be right. That cannot be right. That is truly horrifying. I have to tell you, I had to pause the show because... My heart actually broke for that man. It's supposed to be one of the most exciting nights of your life. You're about to start your new life with your bride, and she's dead. Yeah. They wheel her out on a gurney in her wedding dress. We see this, like, little bride being wheeled out. horrifying. So they come and they take her out, and obviously the investigator is asking all these questions. No drugs, nothing like that. No, wine, wine with dinner, yes, nothing else. Okay. Did she say anything before she lost consciousness? No, nothing. So now we have to put a pin in that tragic story, and we hear about Stan and Jane McWarther. Stan has been feeling very under the weather. His wife Jane is trying to take care of him. Are you feeling any better? No, I wouldn't wish Stan's trouble on anyone. You know, the Davises called to see what we could do tomorrow night, but I told them you were not in any condition to go out, so... You know, we do have that leftover lasagna, maybe just with a little side salad or something. Or, you know, we could have something simple like, they do say that chicken soup sort of opens up the sinuses and... Sand? Sand! And then all of a sudden he dies. And so this man died the same way that Kathy Daniker passed on her wedding night. Yeah, he just flops his head on like the dining room table and then the camera pans and Todd Robbins is at the dining room table. I was like, no, no, Todd. That's two married couples torn apart. So very sad. I literally said to myself out loud when this was happening, I'm not ready for this show. I was like, Todd, can you just not? Can you not, Todd? But now we have another couple experiencing a terrible event. Joseph Melling has just rushed into a hospital with his wife, Jennifer, who is very ill. I need a doctor, quickly. What happened? I don't know, one minute she had a stomachache, then the next she was on the floor shaking. Please help her. All right, all right, right here. All right, let's go. After convulsing, Jennifer Melling slipped into a coma. Her life was hanging by the thinnest of threads. Her husband, Joseph Melling, is left wondering whether his wife will even make it through the night. (laughs) Kathy Daniker dead on her wedding night. 
Stan McWarther dead at the kitchen table, and Jennifer Melling rushed to the hospital and clinging to life. All three victims displayed the same strange symptoms and seizures, and it all happened within a week, less than 50 miles apart. What the fuck is happening? So Detective Church and Detective Longo are on the scene, and they're like... That's a blood work for Jennifer Mellon. That's the coroner's report for Kathy Daniker and Stan McWherger. Want the highlights? Yeah. Cyanide. Cyanide killed Daniker and McWherger and almost killed Mellon. Now, none of these detectives had seen something like this before, so it literally stopped them in their tracks. And their goal is to find the connection between all three victims. So they speak with the spouses of the victims, and none of them have heard of each other. They're none of them. We meet Patrick Moore, who's a crime novelist, and Patrick is shocked. His eyes are the size of honeydew melons. I was like, I want to continue with the story, but Patrick, are you okay? I don't think so. His eyes were bugged out of his head. So were mine. I'm not okay. Yeah, and he was like... Anytime there's a group of murders in a single area, the police naturally look to see how they can connect the murders. In this case, however, they discovered there was no family connection. The victims didn't know each other. They didn't go to the same schools, same churches. At first, it looked as if they had nothing in common. But finally, investigators discovered one very important connection. She said her allergies were acting up. Kept her meds in the bathroom. I know he took something right as I arrived back home from the market. It was over-the-counter stuff, I think. Do you know what the medicine was called? Might have been Sudafed. Sudafed. That's what all the victims had in common. And the news of that spread across the country like wildfire. People were freaking the fuck out. I would too. I'm freaking out now. People were asking for a recall of Sudafed because back in 1982, the same thing happened with Tylenol. So there was a decision to recall and move all of the product of Sudafed from all store shelves across the nation. There was a general panic because is this the same person that did the Tylenol tampering that occurred in 82? There's only one chemical company that sells cyanide within a 50-mile radius of these crimes. Naturally, the detectives pay a visit. Every time someone buys cyanide, we log it here. Mm. Here and here. Richard Johnson. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> Richard Johnson. Is that a dick joke? <laughs> His name's Dick Dick. <laughs> His name's Dick Dick. I got a call for Dick Dick. Richard Johnson. Dick Dick. <laughs> I am a child. That's okay. I love it though. What's your nickname? Dick Dick. 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 <laughs> so this person, Dick Dick, bought a pound of cyanide right before the very first poisoning. In fact, he bought some more later on. And so they go to all the spouses and they're like, okay, do you know anyone named Richard Joe? <laughs> You're never gonna get through. Richard Johnson. None of them know the name. Also, that is a super common name. They're like, do you know a James Smith? How about a Sarah Jones? Yeah, they hit a dead end. So the police offer a $100,000 reward for any information leading to the killer. And of course, hundreds of leads come in, which was exhausting to sort through. Most of them were flat out useless. But one tip came in that proved to be solid. So cut to them in an interrogation room, which is actually just a room with the lights turned off and like a flashlight in their face. Keith, why don't you tell Detective Church what you told me? What, the serial numbers? Mm-hmm. The serial numbers on the packages of pills don't match the serial numbers on the boxes. How do you know that? That's something only a killer would know. Did you do it, Keith? Keith, did you do it? I didn't do it. But the guy who told me about the serial numbers did do it. He said he wanted to get rid of his wife. I thought he meant a divorce. Then this happened. It's my nephew, Joseph Melling. What? Yeah, that was the guy who ran into the hospital with his wife who was suffering and then slipped into a coma. See, this is why you can't trust anyone. And then Uncle Keith is like, Hey, what about my reward? My money? My money! <laughs> 
But I'm telling you now, this is why you cannot trust anyone. Not your husband, not your wife, not your kids, especially not your kids, not your mima, your peepaw, your uncle, your aunt, your gardener, the person who changes your oil, the person who does your highlights, your lawyer, your accountant, your boss, your priest. You shouldn't even trust the Holy Ghost. He told me that himself. Joey, <laughs> that's not true. I said you couldn't trust Ellen. Not with those pilgrim dresses. Right. Sorry, Holy Ghost. Thank you for clarifying. What? We only tell the truth on this podcast. What does the Holy Ghost have against my dresses? Oh, Ellen, dressed like that pilgrim, you look like patient zero on the Mayflower for measles. <laughs> Holy Ghost, did everyone ever tell you you're a dick? Yes. <laughs> They go to Joseph Mailing's work and they talk to Joseph Smelling. Is that his name? Or did I, I think sp- you could just say his boss. His boss. And he sold insurance. And the boss was like, I mean, he sold insurance and he's putting bunny ears. He's like, no, he's awful. Like, he's horrible. Like, Yo. I hate him. He was so bad at selling insurance. Like, really bad. Like, are you here to tell me that something happened to him? Because that would be great. Because I was going to fire him anyway. Because he's only sold one fucking insurance policy the whole goddamn time he's been here. Let me pull it up. See, look, he sold an insurance policy to himself. Uh, a policy on his wife. Full death benefits if Mrs. Melling dies, $700,000. Beneficiary, Joseph Melling. Effective policy day, February 1st. And she was poisoned the next day. Just in case anyone isn't clear, the reenactment actors say, February 2nd. Thanks, guys. Thank you for reinforcing the fact that two comes after one. Yeah. You never know who's watching the show. So they take a look at Joseph Melling's signature on the policy, and they're like, you know what? That looks familiar. When the FBI was looking into who went to the chemical company to buy the cyanide, they were able to match Mr. Melling's handwriting from his own signature from the insurance policies that he had completed on his wife. Hey, look at this J here. Uh-huh. Look at that, Jay. Identical. And there it was, in plain black ink. Imagine the signatures of Joseph Melling and Richard Johnson. Do you know who Richard Johnson's brother is? Who? Howard. I just walked right <laughs> into that. <laughs> Welcome to I Think Not, the podcast where I just tell dad jokes. I, I honestly, it just came to me. So now they have the why and the how, and they go to the hospital to find Joseph Mailing, who is sitting at the bedside of his wife, who is in a coma that he caused. Reenactment Joseph gets super sassy. He's like, I told you, I'm not going to answer any more of your questions. Absolutely not. I am not answering any questions. Chasse away. I don't want any of this. I'm not taking <laughs> any part of this. I was like, when did this happen? It did. He turned into Leslie Jordan oh, on Will no. and Grace. Absolutely. No. No. Mama. No. You can call him. You're under arrest. Stand up, sir. Joseph Melling, you have the right to remain. But the question is, why the others? Why and how did these other victims get poisoned? Mr. Mailing devised a plan to murder his wife. To cover his tracks, he went to other stores, lacing or tampering with these Sudafed packs, hoping that other people would die so it would take the focus off of him. What the fuck? is wrong with you. Yeah. So he is convicted and given life without parole. Now, I did a little research. So this investigation actually took two years. It took them a really long time to figure out what happened. They suspected Joseph, but it was all circumstantial. They actually wiretapped his phone. The FBI did. And he was always trying to tell his family that like the feds are after him and was like encouraging his wife not to answer any questions. He was trying to get away with this and he basically was saying these people are trying to frame me for this. But eventually he was found guilty of 11 charges, two of murder by product tampering, four product tampering with the intent to cause harm, and three insurance fraud and two perjury. But the main thing Todd Robbins wanted us to know was that fortunately his wife Jennifer survived but their marriage did not. She divorced him. Yeah, spoiler alert. Could you imagine? Yeah. I cannot even imagine what that woman was thinking after she found out I've been sleeping next to a man who was trying to murder me. Yeah. And this guy also, he was a fucking prize. When 
his wife was like hospitalized in a coma. He like called the police in and her family in and was like, I know I'm going to be the suspect. It's always the husband. And also, you guys should know I purchased insurance and that's going to make me look like he was trying to like truth bomb them so that it could never come. This guy was fucking sick because he was trying. And stupid. Yeah. And really, really stupid. Also, he has had so many appeals up until 2017 and they've all been denied. Good. Well, if you thought we were done with these nightmares, you were wrong because we have one more for you. That's right. Now we have a ghost story for you. The story of the Hammersmith ghost. And now our host Todd Robbins has gone from an outhouse to a wedding but has finally landed in a graveyard at night. To that, I say... Quit it! (laughs) Quit it! So we see two reenactment actresses in England, nary a British accent between them. On the contrary, they're like, oh my God, that was so fun. Like they're speaking in like vocal fry. So the two women are walking to their home and then one of them says, this is me. Which is a really common phrase that people said in 1804. Did we mention that, that this is 1804? Yeah. It's 1804. Actually, what she said was, okay, so... This is me, look out, cause here I come. Yeah, also, can I just say, I'm not sure how we're supposed to believe that this is 1804 because they are dressed in Ann Taylor's finest collection from not 1804, but 2004. Yeah, and then the other girl says, I'll call you in the morning. On what? So I know I'm a fucking weirdo, Uh but like Google is free. Yes. And the telephone was invented in 1876. Uh-huh. And I was like, did anybody script supervise this thing? Am I the only historian watching this fucking show? I'll call you in the morning. I'll call you in 70 or so years. Honey, they're in capri pants from Chico's. What do you <laughs> expect? It's not 1804. It's 1984. Like, it's fine. No one will notice. No big deal. <laughs> just get, just come in whatever. It's it, They're not even going to get to the third story. No big whoop. <laughs> so Abigail leaves her friend and she decides she's going to walk home by herself. It's dark. It, she's walking through the woods. But it is dark, but she also has a flashlight. Which wasn't invented until 1899! I was like, I, I'm so confused. I was like, I'm just saying. Like, if I can't make up facts, then you can't either, True Nightmares. Okay? If I can't just spit them out, then you got someone... Maybe this is part of the nightmare. They're just trying to confuse us. And- They're like, that flashlight? That was a lantern. You just saw wrong. Oh, God. I was like, come on. You guys had to have gotten some emails. At the very least, a couple tweets. Hello? Who's there? We meet Heather Joseph Witham, who is a professor of folklore, and she says... Sorry, did you want to breeze over the fact that she is a professor of folklore? I'm also a professor. Did you know that? Of what? Butt stuff. Everyone saw that coming from I a am, mile away. I am a... I have my PhD in an Angus. You're very lucky your mother does not listen to our podcast. Honey, thank God. In the village of Hammersmith, there was a ghost. And this ghost appeared at night, generally in the pitch black, and it would often appear to women. So it's a misogynistic ghost. Yes. Yes. And it caused a tremendous panic in the village. And so Abigail has this horrible experience. She screams. She sees something in the night. And the next day, she sits down with investigators. I'm guessing they're investigators. I don't know. The town elders. I don't know. But one of them is wearing an American Eagle Henley button-up shirt. I know. Okay, Abigail, slow down. Tell us what you saw. It followed me. I could feel its presence. I heard it say my name. And they're like, also, where'd you get that light thingy? Because that looks handy. Oh, you mean this flash, this, this lantern? This fire pole. It's just called a little fire pole. Right, babe. It's just a pole filled with a glass ending. <laughs> and it's filled with lightning bugs. Because it's 1804 and I have not in a trench coat from the gap. (laughs) Did you fall? Yes, into the gap. Legend has it that the ghost that Abigail and the others claim they saw was that of a tortured soul who had committed suicide on the church grounds and then was buried in the church cemetery. One of the contemporary beliefs was that if you buried someone who committed suicide in hallowed ground, 
then their soul would not be at rest. My soul hasn't been at rest since the mid-2000s. And I could testify to it. <laughs> so people thought that perhaps this was this man appearing and seeking revenge for his being buried in such a manner. I'm also like, if you want to seek revenge, just play Come on Eileen on repeat while mimicking the violin line. It's like... I just wanted to see how long you were going to do that. So the ghost keeps showing up everywhere. Every woman has seen the ghost because this is, again, a misogynistic ghost. And then Martha Ross is walking one day with one of those new fandangled flashlights. Hello? Martha Ross? Martha? Martha Ross dropped dead right where she stood. A heart attack? Probably. From fright, definitely. Help! That got the town's attention. So they have a town meeting, and everyone is divided. Some people believe it was a ghost. Some people don't believe it was a ghost. It was a horse. It was a mule. Yeah. It was a horse. Do you know what that is? No. Fiddler on the roof. Mazel tov, mazel tov. So the other people were like, ghosts aren't a thing. But of course, Todd is in the meeting too. And they were all fighting over ghosts. Also, we see the reenactment of this town hall meeting. Y'all, we are working on a very thin budget. There is a reenactment actor who, a a woman who's standing with her arms folded in a lace collar that looks like it was cut from the Elizabeth movie and a gray curly wig that looks like it was stolen from the flip-flop cabaret's production of Annie in Sheboygan. Did you see the woman with the bucket hat? Oh. She was like, I'm just gonna wear this bucket hat. I think this is super period. (laughs) The townspeople decided to form uh, sort of a night's watch where armed men went walking around these darkened lanes at night looking for the ghost. It's time to split up. Jim, you take a group west. Cameron, take your group east. And so Francis Smith is out there one night with his gun and he hears something really creepy. Mr. Ryan. And he flashes his light, I'm sorry, his lantern on it. (laughs) And he sees someone in all white. And this man doesn't even ask so much as a, hey, who is that? He just shoots. I got him. Mr. Ryan, I got him. And kills a man. Thomas Millwood. And they were like, that's not a ghost. That's a person. Francis Smith, the fellow with the gun there, looks as if he's seen a ghost. But of course he hasn't because ghosts aren't real. But you know what is real? Murder. And Smith has just committed one. Well, he was charged with murder, but don't worry, those charges were later dropped because they said, well, everyone was fearful for their life and he was just reacting. I'm like, would you like to talk to Francis's wife about that? Yeah. And they were like, to be fair, he thought he was killing a ghost. I mean, hubbub a ghost. Yeah, they uh, thought it yeah. was a ghost. And they were like, so that's not murder? Yeah, it's wild. Well, guess what, y'all? There was a ghost milling around town. So what was it then? that terrified the good people of Hammersmith and killed poor Martha Ross. Martha. Eventually, a man named John Graham came forward and admitted he was actually the Hammersmith ghost, having a little bit of fun keeping the town scared until the fun ended in tragedy. You guys, I was kidding. I was just playing a jokesy joke. It was, are you guys mad? It's me, it's John Graham. I was pretending to be a ghost. Is that hilarious? This man was dressing up like a ghost, putting a potato sack or something over his face and terrorizing people. Now you'd think that after poor Martha dropped dead of a heart attack that he would have quit it. He did not. He did not. He was like, you guys, come on. Bill, you know I'm a practical joker. Come on, you know I'm I'm always coming and churning your butter. What? I don't yeah. even know. Well, now two people are dead and you'd think that this man would be arrested for some sort of menacing. He wasn't. They let him go because they're like, well, we can't arrest someone for a practical joke. Shouldn't we both be laughing? If you're joking, shouldn't we both be laughing? You because... don't know how joking works. No, you do not. <laughs> We've been finding ourselves saying that a lot lately. Yep. Everybody in the town was like, that's John. He's really good at practical jokes. Not anymore. He's not. He, do you know what John Graham is famous for? What? Come on. What? You Google. Did you Google it? No. He invented the whoopee cushion. I believe you. I don't have to Google it. That's a real thing. Yeah. He was like, he was like a known like prankster. And he like, he had tried like several times to like invent pranks. And then he invented the whoopee cushion. Wow. What does that matter? You're such a liar. (laughs) You're such a liar. Why do I continue to believe you? Oh, I have a 
gotten you. This good is in the so end long. of our friendship. I hope you all enjoyed this podcast because it's the last one. That Your can... new podcast host will be Tucker Carlson. The green Eminem you will notice is no longer wearing sexy boots. Now she's wearing sensible sneakers. And I think it's a fitting, <laughs> fitting pair because you're both fucking monsters. Oh god, that was a good one. Well, it was truly a nightmare, and it's all been a nightmare. Todd Robbins, I will be pressing charges. Yes. I will be. It's not a dream. It is a nightmare. What is wrong with y'all? I don't know. Say something funny. Well, we learned two things on this podcast today. One, John Graham did not invent the whoopee cushion. But we did learn that you are a monster, Ellen. I think everyone already knew that, my love. Wow, you're a horrible person. <laughs> turkey <laughs> oh thank you down bitches and thank you so much for letting us relive these nightmares of bad reenactments and ghost stories thank you so much i'm gonna sleep like a babe yeah if you want more of our antics you can find us on social media you can find us on all platforms at i think not pod you can also find me on instagram at it's joey taranto and this monster over here you can find on instagram at Ellen Marsh, Ellen with a Y. Also join our Facebook group. Yeah, come and tell us if you had sex on your wedding night on our Facebook group, the I Think Not podcast discussion group, all on Facebook. We love hearing from you. We take all of our suggestions for all of our shows from you monsters, and we make your dreams come true, and that's what we do. Or in this case, your nightmares. And if you are on our Patreon, don't forget, tonight we are watching Romy and Michelle. We're gonna text, we're gonna chat, we're gonna have some drinks and some edibles, whatever makes you happy because we know sometimes the holidays just kind of suck and we want to sit and laugh with you all. And if you're feeling fancy, go leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us a lot. And if you're feeling like you want to cuss somebody out, go to Tucker Carlson's Twitter. Yeah, he's a blast. I love you now, bitches. Love you all and I love you too, yelling Marshall monster. I love you, Joey. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And it's a whoopee cushion. Well, they get all the big, strong, fearless men with guns. Yeah. Well, we need men who also are going to open the jars that we loosened. Most people were like, yeah, no duh, elder dipshits. I'd rather watch Mitch McConnell try to put a pillowcase on a pillow than go out at night. Because, you know, he doesn't have a chin. It's like... <laughs> did you research this? Yes. Oh, what did you learn? No. Were you lying? I... Hi, uh, I think Cranford's the next stop. Okay, we're just finishing up recording. Um, do you want to say hi to everybody? You're, are you not going to be there at the fucking train station to pick me up? Because you're recording a fucking podcast? This is one of our best friends, Adam. You know the wedding we were at in London? It was his goddamn... The one that, the one that apparently you talked about and said that Ashley and I are inseparable, like that kind of relationship on your podcast? You are inseparable in the sweetest little way, my angel baby. Well, you're insufferable. Please but pick me up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Who wants to be our new best friend? <laughs>